Welcome to Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou, a podcast about those life-altering experiences that shape who we are today and those times when we were not totally fine. I'm your host, Tiffany Philippou, and I've written a memoir, Totally Fine and Other Lies I've Told Myself. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest who'll tell me their story about a time that they pretended to be totally fine. I know what it's like to pretend to be okay, and that's what my book is about. After my boyfriend Richard died by suicide, I spent most of my 20s pretending that this never happened. I know that it's not just what happens to us, but the stigma we feel and how we suppress it that's the real problem. So here's why we're having these conversations, to quiet the shame monster and to remind us that we're not alone. So you, did you go to Cairo for a couple of weeks and then not come back? Is that what's happened? Basically, basically that's exactly what happened shame very much kind of happens in silence you know like you sort of feel like you can't speak about it and it becomes this sort of overwhelming thing and you're like I'm the only person who feels like that so when you realize it's a shared experience I think it really helps yeah I think it's like reconnecting to the purpose I almost need to keep reminding myself so what I've kind of realized recently is and this is like quite overwhelming is that I pretend to be totally fine all the time Today I'm joined by Alia Muru. Alia is an Egyptian-born, London-raised writer who's written for the likes of The Grazia, The Telegraph, Refinery29, Washington Post and many more. And Alia is also the author of the best-selling book, The Greater Freedom, Life as a Middle Eastern Woman Outside the Stereotypes. I loved reading Alia's book and it's an exploration of identity as a woman existing between two cultures. And Alia also writes a newsletter called The Greater Conversation, which is a space to continue the conversation started in her book. In The Greater Freedom, Alia writes, I'm a hybrid. I never really thought about it growing up, but I feel it now. I'm British, but I'm also Egyptian. I am both and consequently neither. Welcome to the show, Alia. Thank you for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I really loved your book and I found it very relatable as someone who's also, you know, I, I'm of immigrant parentage, grew up in London, didn't quite fit one place or the other. So there's so much I identified with and of course, obviously learned a lot about your culture as well. Um, so no, thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed reading your book too. I actually finished <laughs> it reading it this morning. So it's really exciting to chat with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Do you have any, any tips for uh, someone? So there's a lot of, you know, and we'll get into it obviously, but there's, there's a lot of vulnerable, honest, incredible stuff in your memoir. And I couldn't help reading it as someone who has their own out coming out. I think it'll be out by the time this is live, but, um, and just, yeah, I was like, what, what is it like to publish something like that? Honestly, I had a major vulnerability hangover, like in the in the days before it came out and in the weeks after. I was like, why did I share all that? But I think what's always really nice is when um, when people resonate and when people relate and they're like, oh, that really helped me. Or, you know, I felt really seen reading that or, you know, that part in particular or whatever it might be. I think it kind of makes you feel like, oh, OK, that's why I did it. Because, you know, and you talk so brilliantly about shame throughout your memoir, but I feel like shame is very, you know, very much kind of happens 
in silence, you know, like you sort of feel like you can't speak about it and it becomes this sort of overwhelming thing. And you're like, I'm the only person who feels like that. So when, when, you know, it's a, when you realize it's a shared experience, I think it really helps. Yeah. I think it's like reconnecting to the purpose. I almost need to keep reminding myself, like the whole point of this is, and the point of this show and what we're going to get into is to talk about our shame. But yeah, unfortunately there's that slight vulnerability hangover that comes with it as well because it's hard it is it's so hard and I really loved your newsletter on like writing a memoir is not like therapy because I feel like that's something that a lot of people will always say they'll be like oh that must have been and it is it isn't in a way it is a bit like therapy because you do have to really dig deep into all of these things and kind of think about why did this happen and why did I behave that way and why did this you know whatever it might be so in a way it is like therapy but then at the end of the day it's such um it's selfish, but it's also a very selfless act. And I think it's important to kind of separate those things. Yeah. And like the point I was making in that newsletter was we actually have a message. It's not just for ourselves. It's about, well, I mean, what would you say was the message for your book? I, th- I think for me, what I really wanted to, to do was sort of unpick the, the many different um Well, I say many different, but at the end of the day, the patriarchy is is alive and well around the world. But I think I wanted to kind of unpick a little bit of the different expectations that we can often have as women, you know, whether that comes from our culture or our family or the media or whatever it might be. And, And I think for me, what I've kind of struggled with over the years is, um, figuring out what my own voice is outside of all the voices that you are like brainwashed with throughout your life. And I think I, that, that was kind of the message is like how important it is to do that, to figure out who you are and what you believe and not just kind of unconsciously follow scripts that have already been laid out for us. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how powerful that can play out with things such as like your chapter on appearance, for example, really stood out for me and thinking about hair. Cause I've been, you know, um, I think my GHDs are down to my right, but I have I've sort of I've gone on a bit of a journey of kind of embracing the curly hair and all these sorts of things. And you realize how much, yeah, it just taps our daily lives, all this ingrained belief system and yeah, untangling it and letting the frizz out, like, you know. Oh, I, I love how I say that and I've got a blow dry right now. It's been a real journey for me, this whole unlearning oh, of yeah, the curly it's... hair as well. <laughs> well, that's fine too. I obviously do blow dry my hair as well. I think choice. Um, I think that was kind of my conclusion. Like as long as you mm. know the reasons why, you know, like, and then, and then you have free will at the end of the day and you have choice, but I think it's just to, to not unconsciously follow things that that's sort of my, for myself anyway, that's really my, my kind of aspiration. Yeah. Um, and then we will get onto your experience, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, so you, did you go to Cairo for a couple of weeks and then not come back? Is that what's happened? Basically, basically that's exactly what happened. I, so I'm from Egypt, obviously, and I, I, I have lived here in the past just briefly for a year um, when I was 12. And then I come all the time and I have friends here. So I feel very lucky to kind of have that, have a bit of a base here anyways. Um, but I came in December for two weeks. Literally, I came with like a small little suitcase and now it's mid-March. So I've been here for a really long time and I haven't left. And it's been really healing, actually. I think 
obviously lockdown was really hard for everyone and it was you know very isolating i live alone in london so i kind of just spent like months completely on my own um and here there is you know obviously well they couldn't really go into lockdown because people would starve to death so they kind of continued as normal um and you know at the time we were all like what the hell are you talking about but actually it's quite interesting being here now because no one's having well they're not having the same i think mental health struggles that we've been having in the uk so it's been yeah really healing to have the kind of community aspect and hang out with all my old friends and meet new people and my grandfather's really old and you know it's just been really really nice to kind of reforge my roots here i think i will be coming back at some point <laughs> Do you know when or not really just playing? I think I'll be here another couple. I think I'll be here another couple of months and then, yeah, I'll be back in time for the sunshine in London. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. I've been (laughs) jealously looking on your outdoorsy life in the sun. Um, It just looks so nice. Um, Yeah. It's been really inspiring as well. Like I have, you know, so much of my work is about being these two things so actually being able to spend time here i found really inspiring in terms of like a lot of the new projects that i've been working on and stuff i think have been really birthed through me spending time here yeah um brilliant well i look forward to continuing to follow your journeys you stay out there um but should we get into your story today um let's go into the space um Nervous. I'm a bit like, oh my god, we're really going to talk about this, but that's the whole point, isn't it? That's a good sign. It's a good sign, possibly. <laughs> they always say, you know, but yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's that thing. Always write what you're scared to, or publish what you're most scared to say. But um, but well, yeah, well, no, but um, but we'll uh, yeah, hopefully, 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 your nerves will will be good. But yeah, I completely understand. But let's um, let's get into it. So so do tell me, what is the experience that changed you so um i so what i wanted to talk about today and i actually write about this in my in my book as well is my experience basically of like losing my virginity i hate that term but i feel like yeah it's it's it it stands the test of of time for a reason especially with this story but yeah so i kind of i lost my virginity um so i guess for context so in I guess there's so much shame around sex generally, right? But I think in a lot of cultures like Middle Eastern culture, there's like a whole added layer often when it comes to that. So I grew up, you know, never really speaking about sex at home. Um, It was very much something that was like, you know, and my parents, I would like to say are are pretty chill and they're not... um, they're not particularly strict, but they do have their own brainwashing, I suppose, that they've also been like privy to. So it was really not something that was, you know, common. And growing up, like when I was in Egypt, it was very um, P- PG, I suppose you could say. And then when I was at school in London, so I moved to London when I was about 13, 14, and then I was in an all girls school and everyone would always be talking about sex. And it was very much, um, a marker of like being cool and being desired and you know all of these kind of things so i think we 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 often give sex um different meanings to to, to what it actually is but um so i ended up basically getting tricked i like to say into losing my virginity by this guy who was um he was my boyfriend but he was also like loads of other girls boyfriends too <laughs> 
And so we, um, I was feeling very lost at the time and I had just moved to London and I was, you know, I always say I was like Lindsay Lohan basically in Mean Girls where I had just like moved from Africa and like it was a very uh, interesting experience. And um, he would, you know, call me every night and he made me feel really seen and really wanted and like really important. And I didn't feel that in any other aspect of my life, basically. So I was like clinging to that feeling and whatever I could do to like keep it, I would do basically. So he then would be start to be like, oh, well, you know, how I show girls I love them is by like sleeping with them. Like, let me show you that I love you, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I really, I really want to be, I really want to feel love. Anyway, so we had sex and that in itself, um, you know, like, especially the first time we have sex, it's supposed to be like, we watch all these movies and it's supposed to be like this really loving kind of experience and stuff. But I feel like, for a lot of us, you know, now as I've gotten older, I've been having these conversations with my friends and for a lot of us, it was absolutely not that. Um, it was often quite a traumatizing experience. Um, so it definitely was for me. And then I found out he had been cheating on me with loads of other girls and like one of my friends. And so it was, yeah, it was quite difficult. And I just kind of pretended that everything was totally fine. Um, mostly because I couldn't speak about it to my parents or anyone. So I couldn't even say that it had happened or, you know, I, they would see me like going crying and all of these things, but I couldn't, I couldn't say why. Um, and then I couldn't speak to any of my friends about it because there was like this whole palava and I was getting bullied at school because of it. And then I couldn't speak to any of my friends in Egypt about it. So for a really, really long time, I basically pretended like it was totally fine, <laughs> even though it absolutely was not. And so it's been, yeah, really, it's been a really long time since then. And it's been quite a journey, I think, in terms of like unlearning the shame around that um, and the kind of repercussions of the lessons even in terms of like some guys will just lie to you so that they could have sex with you so like even on learning that in terms of like trusting men when they tell me things or you know um not automatically assuming that they just want to like use me and throw me away and all of these kind of things has been yeah quite a journey and you use the word grooming i think when you were talking about it in your book and it, that did jump out for me when you were talking about someone saying I show my love by sleeping with women like as an and I think again you call this out you're like at my age I'm writing this it's so clear but obviously you were younger I mean to go back to that what does it what is it like to kind of either at the time but also now look back and be aware of how much you were manipulated by this person yeah, it's, I feel a lot of shame around it, to be honest with you. I feel very much like, especially me being who I am now, and I've worked so hard to like be the strong woman and all of these kind of things. I'm like, how, how, I feel really sad for myself, actually. Like, how was I um, so able to be manipulated, basically? What was the lack in me, even though I know, I know what, what it was, but what was the lack in me that I was okay with this, basically? and that I um, didn't see it happening. Like, am I stupid? Am I dumb? Did I deserve what happened to me because I didn't realize that it was happening? You know, I guess it's the kind of like victim blame yourself in a way. Um, but it definitely, it definitely was grooming. Like it turned out he was an expert at this and like his, his claim to fame basically was that he would take girls' virginities. Like he took so many girls' virginities that I know. And it was something that he was like really proud of and, and like would actively try and do basically. 
So it's, yeah, it's been, there's been a lot of like compassion that I guess I've had to find for myself as well that I, something that was supposed to be, and I, the word supposed to kind of annoys me as well, because it goes back to these like societal structures and expectations of what's even normal. And we know that there's no such thing as normal, but yeah, it was supposed to be this like special, nice thing, but actually that was completely stolen from me, I feel um and really impacted i think a lot of my relationships moving forwards and probably even a little bit until now it's definitely something that i've been unpicking in therapy i want i want to before we kind of move a bit more forward i do want to stay within the because how old were you when it when it when this happened i was 15 15 so what was it like as a 15 year old so you say that um it felt, you know, this, this, this supposed to an in inverted comment, something was stolen from you, basically. At the age of 15, if you can remember, did you also see it that way? Or is that more something with high insight? Mm, it's a good question. I think, I think I did sort of feel like something was stolen from me even then, especially when it became obvious the extent of like the deception and how, you know, like I used to write him like letters, like love letters, and it turned out he'd like read them to like these other girls and stuff, you know? So I think when it kind of came out, the extent to which like this thing that had been really important to me was jack shit to this guy, basically, it felt really, really upsetting. And it felt very much like, why did you do that to me? You know, like, why, why, like what, why, what did I do to like deserve you to do that to me basically so it was quite yeah it was really upsetting and I remember I used to like and then I got bullied off the back of it basically because um one of the girls he was sleeping with was like you knew that I was sleeping with him this whole time and I was like I absolutely didn't so there was a lot of that in terms of like and and I can really see now how um how people can get groomed, you know, even like these really strong women or even who anyone, it's, it's never your fault. Like it's these, these people are like professional at knowing what your insecurities are and like knowing how to tap into them and kind of utilize them for their own benefit. Um, and again, that's something that, that I've only realized with hindsight, because at the time I felt like it was my fault. Like I should have known better i should have been smarter i should have you know and i think one of the reasons why i wanted to speak about it with you and one of the reasons why why i wanted to write about it in my book is because i think that when there's no conversation around sex and intimacy and love and all of these kind of things and when um we live in such a patriarchal world that kind of really does shame women for you know and doesn't sort of allow us to have our own desires um it's always very much about like what someone what a, what a man might want or what he might then think of you and you know all of these kind of things so i think that when you don't have these conversations it really does put you at a disadvantage in terms of like being able to make um good decisions because you know and i write this in my book like if everything's wrong then how do you know what's right and I think that's why it's so important to have conversations around these things, because then you start to realize, like, does this feel right for me? Is this something that I want? And again, it goes back to the importance of, like, trusting your own voice and knowing what your own voice is even saying, because otherwise you're sort of like, yeah, doing things for, for reasons that are not necessarily the best ones. Yeah, I just want to repeat what you just said around how um, if everything's wrong, how are you supposed to know? 
what's right, which is exactly what the teenage experience, yeah, when we were that age, that's, you know, and I think you also talked about what did we learn in sex education? Was it to put a condom on a banana? I think that was about it, right? Yeah, that was about it. And I think that they're changing the the census around that now, or what's the word, the um, curriculum around that. So I'm I'm really happy about that because there's it's it's really one of the most foundational aspects of our lives, you know, like love and relationships and sex and intimacy, whether that's with a partner or with friends or with family or whatever. And we're really not taught like how to communicate, how to know what your needs are, how to ask for them and for a really, really long time, I felt that having needs was a weakness. Um, and it's something that I'm really only just beginning to kind of work through. And I think that, and that's what I mean by, I think this early experience, it also colors a lot of your following ones, because I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of where I learned that from was also in that first experience where I kind of really felt like I had to not ask for too much. Um, I had to just take what I was offered. Um, and again, if you are not taught or see a world in which, you know, women have options, um, in which we kind of like have, um, like a deep rooted self-worth, then I think you don't, you don't, you don't know what that looks like. Um, and then you don't know that you deserve good things. And, and what's also frightening about how that then plays out is that social isolation you talked about so when your female friends and the people around you found out about what had happened it doesn't sound like this guy got any repercussions but you suffered yeah so he had no repercussions and I had all of them and I think that's so often the case isn't it like I think that we hold ourselves and each other as women often to much higher standards than we do men. And there's like this whole like boys will be boys, you know, like there's such, um, we excuse them for all their bad behavior, but we never excuse ourselves. Yeah. And again, that that social isolation that followed when everyone was blaming you while you were blaming yourself must have been awful. Yeah, it really was actually. It really was. And I think... um, I did. I actually did blame myself. And I think for a really long time, I still blamed myself um, where I felt like, how? yeah, again, like, how could I have done that? How could I have let that happen? Um, and uh, it's really shitty feeling. It's really shit. And because I think, I, and again, I think the thing with shame especially when it comes from stuff like that is, you know, I've been reading a lot about shame actually. And the difference between shame and guilt apparently is that guilt is like, I did a bad thing. Whereas shame is I am a bad person. Um, So I think that, yeah, for a really long time, I felt like, like I was a bad person, like that, you know, someone who did something like that or who accepted something like that to happen to her, must be dumb, must be stupid, must be a bad person, must deserve it. Um, So I think that that's probably one of the main kind of really long lasting repercussions of that was the fact that I've had to, I was going to say rebuild, but actually I didn't have it then to begin with. So I guess build a sense of self and self-worth outside of not only what I thought 
was a bad decision, but what like my entire culture as well would tell me was a bad decision. So one thing that happened that was so insane was that basically um, one of the girls that he had been sleeping with who had been my friend, her mom called my mom to tell her that I had had sex with this guy basically. And that was just a wild experience because, you know, and and again, I write this in the book, like some girls from my culture, I hate saying this because it panders to like Islamophobia and um, Orientalism, but like that could have like really big consequences for a lot of people, you know? And I remember when my mom um, heard about this, she was freaking out and she was like, let's go to the hospital to like check if you're a virgin or not. And I was just like, oh my God, what is happening? So it, it wasn't just that I thought that I had done something wrong. It was that my entire like culture thought that I had done something wrong and it's very much um something that we're we're taught like and I remember my mom sat me down after this had all happened and she said don't have sex until you're married or he'll think you're a whore and never love you and I guess because that's kind of what had happened already you know where I had had sex before marriage and then he thought I was a whore I don't know if he thought I did but everyone everyone did and I thought I did and then he left me and it didn't work out you know so I think that well he left me as a strong I don't even know what what the hell happened but um I think that's quite that in itself is quite is quite traumatizing where you're like oh shit you are like the, the worst thing happened and actually they were all right you know they were all right in their warnings. Um, so that's been something that I've been really trying to work through. And I remember I slept with a guy like not even all that many years ago. And after we slept together, I said to him, do you think less of me now? So it's really been something that's kind of stuck with me. I think this idea that like, that could be that all, that could be all that someone wants from you and the repercussions of you choosing to do it or not do it are going to lie with you. They're not going to lie with them at all. It makes me think about the beginning when you said you don't like the phrase losing your virginity. Is yeah, is that is well, is is do you not like it because yeah, it's it's basically perpetuating that thing. It's like it's ours and we might lose it, and it's something to give. Yeah, our self worth, I think, is really highly um, linked to that. And there's an expression in an in in there's an Arabic expression, and it basically says a woman is like a piece of candy. If you threw her on the floor, would you still want to eat her or something like that? Like if she was unwrapped, you know, like something like that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of like honor and worth and self-respect and stuff that's all tied in with that. And I think for a really long time, I sort of went the opposite way where I still had a lot of shame and I still had a lot of stuff, but I would kind of really try to push past it in the sort of idea that, um, being a liberated woman and you can make your own decisions and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But I think what I've been sort of realizing is that in a lot of ways, I, I don't, I'm just trying to think of the best way to put it. I think in a lot of ways, acting in opposition is still acting in response to something. And I think that's kind of what I've been concluding is that that's still not coming from your own authentic expression or desire. It's doing something because you 
think you can't or shouldn't. And so what you is what you're saying that in that kind of suppressing it pretending to be fine that played out in in lashing out and acting in opposition what was that like yeah and I think that was still not me listening to myself you know that was me sort of being like oh well guys can do whatever they want well I can do whatever I want too and for a really really long time again like I was saying I I thought that feelings were a weakness so I like really tried to suppress that I really tried to be this idea of what I thought a sexually liberated woman was um and I think in doing that I realized that I was still doing myself a disservice because I was still accepting less than what I deserved less than what I really wanted um but thought that I was doing th- I thought that I was I'm I'm still really working through this so I'm like struggling to verbalize it because these are like brand new realizations but I think I was still not being myself, you know, I was still not behaving in a way that sat well with my own authentic um, way of wanting to exist in the world. Uh, Yeah. And I guess it's, when you say you're still working through it, I think like with all the things that you cover in the book around how we're influenced by our cultures and societal expectations, I don't think it's ever complete no Um, and something else as well that I was just thinking when you were talking about your existence and your experience with the people immediately around you like at school and everything that everyone was turning against you there so it's not just like the one culture it's like in both our cultures like it's so ingrained and maybe you know it's just can might be expressed in different ways as you kind of said that kind of boys will be boys but ultimately you know you were in London and this guy was here and in and 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 you all the blame was put on you by including by that girl's mum who who rang your mum right no well I think you've just I think that that's that's it at the end of the day I think that a lot of the, the messages that we receive cross-culturally when it comes to sex are wrong you know um and there is like which I think is what I was kind of trying to say earlier as well is there is this idea of like free you know free love and free sex and everyone should just do whatever but i think that often um we don't i think what i'm trying what i'm starting to understand is that we don't understand the energy exchange that happens when we're intimate with someone we don't understand the kind of like it's a really intimate thing you know it's a really intimate thing and this idea that like in order to be sexually liberated we should just like be able to sleep with whoever and never speak to them again and like oh i don't even care about you anyway you know like all of these kind of things that we're encouraged to do in in the west a lot of the time like in inverted commas or whatever is um also again i think that's what i was trying to say like it's also acting in opposition in a way to the messages that we've received as women which is that we're inherently more emotional which is that like men can have sex with you and leave you and not care but we're the ones who are gonna you know get impacted and love them and want to be in a relationship and with them and they need to like try and calm us down so that we don't get the wrong idea and you know what i mean like there's still it's still a very unequal um it's still a very unequal kind of exchange. It's still a very unequal sort of uh, 
message I think that we've received and there's this really interesting documentary that I watched on Netflix which I quoted in the book as well which was about hookup culture basically and that was essentially what they were talking about how it's kind of reached the stage now where it's like the person who cares the less the least wins um so I think that yeah you're so right like we really are (laughs) it's true isn't it it makes me know it makes me feel yeah it's so this is I think I write about this in my book as well like the patriarchy I kind of it it really only slapped me in my in the face when I was dating because as you've just said like it's become this game where the person who cares the least wins it's It's really awful, sad. isn't it? It's so awful. And then we as women are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't care. I don't care at all. It's totally cool fine, girl. you know? So, yeah, it's the cool girl. It's exactly that. So we're kind of like perpetuating these things as well by engaging with them. Um, and I don't know what the answer is. I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know what the solution is. But I think it's definitely not... <sighs> I keep using the, the name of your book and your podcast because it's so apt, but it's definitely not totally fine, you know? It's definitely, we definitely shouldn't be pretending it's totally fine. And actually, I'm annoyed at myself on so many levels for the trillions of ways that I've pretended that these things are all totally fine. And actually, I remember it must have been about, it must have been like, let's say eight, nine years ago. So this was a long time after this had all happened with this guy. And I remember he called me um, and he was just being really normal with me, like as if like everything was gonna, as if, as if nothing had happened, right? And this was years later. And I pretended like it was totally fine. And I was like, oh yeah, it's okay. We were kids, you know, like he didn't, he wasn't even really apologizing, but I totally let him off the hook. Um, and it was again me trying to pretend like I didn't care because caring would have meant that I, I was weak, right? Or it would have meant that it would have given him too much power. So till very recently, I have been pretending like that whole story was was totally fine and almost taking equal share in the in the blame. Um and you know, I'm sure he's going through. He was going through his own things, and but again, that's I think that's part of it. Is we're often really trained to 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 give like other people the benefit of the doubt and to be really empathetic in like why other people might have behaved a certain way or whatever. But we don't do that for ourselves, you know. And my therapist was recently saying because I was talking to her about all of this, and she was sort of saying to me, "Well, why do you think that?" that was what you needed at the time or why do you think that that was like how why do you think that that played out the way it did and I was very able now with hindsight and with a lot of you know having done a lot of work on myself to be able to be like I was really lonely and I had just moved from Egypt and I didn't feel like I belonged and I my parents were always fighting and I needed to feel love and you know all of these things like with hindsight I'm able to be a little bit more empathetic with the version of myself that was in that situation um but way before i was able to be empathetic with myself i was able to be empathetic with him that tells us a lot doesn't it about the experience and how as you said we've been programmed to respond to these things um because i was curious at what point you began to use language such as grooming 
for his behavior? I think it was honestly when I was writing the book, you know, I really think that in writing that, because I did so much, um, there were a lot of things I addressed in the book that I had never really thought about before or that I hadn't really given myself the space to think about or even engage with. So the more that I kind of did a lot of reading and the more that I um, understood, I think the like systemic inequalities and the systemic ways in which we are programmed to um, interpret things and, and behave and, you know, all of that, I think that was when I really started to realize well actually he would have gone to jail you know like it was illegal what he did because he was older than me so I was underage and he was above age and he would have been arrested if if it had come out you know what I mean but um I didn't realize that for a really long time and I didn't realize again what we were just talking about in terms of like the inequalities when it comes to like sex and when it comes to dating and love and you know I didn't realize the way that the 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 odds are against us as women, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I didn't realize that until I started doing research and, and writing the book. I was also wondering as well, because I see it as a two-sided um, experience. There's what happened with him and the grooming and um, that side of it. But then there's also that social isolation that came or that uh, with it as well. Do you think that, played out in friendships or other relationships as you progressed through life as well? I think for a long time, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky because I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of like legacy friendships in Egypt, you know, like people that I had known, like our parents were best friends, our great grandparents were best friends. So I think a lot of that sort of saved me in terms of my, what could have potentially become a lack of trust in friendships. Um, But I definitely did find it difficult to trust women. And I had like a lot of internalized misogyny around that, I think. Um, but where I've really felt it play out, I think, is in my relationships with men, because it's made me, I think it tapped into, you know, it's difficult sometimes to trace like how far back something goes, because when I really think like back to even when I was a kid, like I always did feel a little bit like uncomfortable around people of the opposite sex when it came to like any kind of like sexual desire, I'd feel kind of weird about it. And I'd feel a bit awkward and shameful around it and stuff. But so so it's difficult to know like was that from before or did that come from then you know what i mean or was i already a little bit like that then but i definitely know that i have found it very very difficult to be to let my guard down i found it really hard to let my guard down when it comes to men and relationships i've always felt like I need to protect myself. I can't trust you to be there for me. I can't trust what you're saying. You're probably lying. You'll probably change your mind at any given moment and I'm gonna be the fool. Um, you're probably t- talking to loads of other girls. You're probably having sex with them even. You know, like I've, I've found it really difficult to, um, to trust and to allow myself to be loved because I haven't, Mm, this is like a therapy session um because i feel like 
It could be. It could be. It's probably fake. It's probably. It's probably. You're probably lying. <laughs> and have you found talking about it and writing about it and you know working through all this stuff has made you? As we said earlier, you don't really kind of fully recover from these things, but um, you know, come out the other side and look back at it in a different way. Yeah, hundred percent. I look, I look at it all in a very different way now. I think where I am now with with all of this kind of stuff is I have a lot of awareness, um, but I haven't like, and I'm and I, I'm very aware like of myself. Like I've kind of been really challenging myself to try and be more open and to be more vulnerable and honest and and transparent. Um, and I've started to just be like really straightforward about the things like I think as we were saying like these things fester in silence so I've been trying to be as vocal about it as possible for myself but also because I know how many other people have had you know again similar experiences or experiences where they felt like they they have to keep it quiet or whatever so I'm kind of like being loud now um not just for myself but also to try and like encourage other people to know that it's not um it's not their fault you know like there's so many there's so many things that that happen to us in life or that we experience or that we go through and actually it sounds super trite but actually that's what makes us who we are those are the issues that we then you know care about and potentially will tackle in our work and that creates like this ripple effect basically where we no longer allow things to take over our lives. Um, we no we no longer allow them to like have power over us, basically. But the, the the if we don't talk about it, I think they continue to have power over us. And that's all that you can do, really. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm not quite at a place yet where I feel like actually totally fine maybe i maybe there's no such thing um but i think awareness is is the first step and then from there who knows like it's uphill i think i hope <laughs> well there'll be lots of people who benefit from hearing this story as well and um can benefit from you sharing that and helping them hear and begin to you know think about their own awareness of things because it's only recently, but through through stories such as yours, that I myself am looking back at the teenage years and looking back at what what went on um, with regards to sexual dynamics, power dynamics, men, women, uh, all that sort of stuff. So I think it is really important to talk about these things, um, even though it does make us feel uh, nervous or icky inside. It's very it's, it's scary yeah. stuff. Scary stuff. Yeah, I just think that I think that like like, like we said like these things are so much the foundational things of our lives and if we don't have conversations about them then we will just feel so much more alone in trying to deal with them especially as teenagers when everything feels so overwhelming and scary and i feel very um i think it's amazing what like the internet and tiktok and like you know people like us uh, are like contributing to the kind of narrative shift and i love being on tiktok and seeing like all the young girls and how they're so much more informed and empowered than i ever was at their age and i feel i hate the word jealous but i feel in part like envious of them because i'm like wow like how diff how different would my life or my experiences have been had i been armed with that knowledge 
Yeah, that's um yeah, you hear so much negative about what it's like for young people on social media, but there's definitely that you don't really hear as much about how yeah, you have more access to communities for certain things and access to knowledge. Um but uh well, hopefully some some young people also listen to podcasts as well, so perhaps they'll listen yeah. to hear your story as well. Um but thank you so much for sharing it today. I really appreciate it and I know that it's um it's hard to talk about these things. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I I, I really found myself being like, uh, oh my God, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, I have one question. I have one final question that we like to ask people um, and maybe it will be related to doing the show, but um, pre- pretending to be fine is something that we do on a daily basis. Do you have a recent example? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be recent, but kind of a, another smaller example of a time where you've pretended to be totally fine. So what I've kind of realized recently is, and this is like quite overwhelming, is that um, I pretend to be totally fine all the time. <laughs> like I basically realized that I'm such a, I'm so used to kind of just suppressing my emotions and I don't like to feel anything that I consider as like an unpleasant emotion. And I've become like a expert at pushing it down. I don't even realize so I recently had I recently had alopecia for the third time, which is when like you lose like a chunk of your hair. So I had like a total bald spot basically, and the hairdresser pointed it out to me like a year ago, and I was like, oh, I had no idea that I was stressed. I had no idea that I was so stressed that I would actually lose a chunk of my hair. So I think yeah, I've become such an expert at it that I don't even realize that I'm doing it. And then the body. The body the body's like, hey, hello, please don't, please don't forget about us. Because it all lives there, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm I, the same. Like, yeah, it's like I get IBS or yeah, it like comes out in different in different ways through the the body. So um, as well, I, I try my best to not suppress these things, but it's it's hard. We're all in it together. Um, but yeah, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> but thank you so much um, yeah, for sharing your story and for coming on the show. And yeah, it's been wonderful to talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I hope that we can continue to talk about all the stuff that scares us and shames us so that we realize that it's not worth scaring us or shaming us. Thank you for listening to Totally Fine with Tiffany Philippou, hosted by me, Tiffany Philippou. Anna Cogirado is the executive producer. Editing and mixing is by Chris Bannister. And you may recognise us because we've also got another show called Is This Working? So you can check that out too. And if you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review as that really helps more people find the show too. Thank you.